This morning, find a screen if you would. We're going to read one verse together. Here we go, everybody. Then I replied to them, the God of heaven will make us prosper, and we, his servants, will arise and build. The God of heaven will do what? Say it. Make us prosper, and then we will what? Arise Bow your hearts together with me for a word of prayer. Father, we're overwhelmed at just the power that is in those words that we just sang this morning. Thank you that it's not a myth, it's not a fantasy, but it's the reality. It is the source of what has transformed each of our lives and given us hope, Lord, that is beyond human description. I just thank you today for Jesus who died for our sins. I'm so moved by the line that my sin was great, but your love was greater. Let us arise as the congregation say amen to that. Father, thank you today for your love for us. Lord, for this time in your word, I just acknowledge before you and everyone hearing in this service today, Lord, in the future, on the internet as they hear this message, that I can't do anything apart from you. God, I ask you that you would be in my voice, that you would be in my words, be in my thoughts, that you would cause me to speak. Lord, uh, there's some things that I want to bring, but I believe that, Lord, that you can tailor make this message for this congregation and, Lord, do something even different for the, uh, for the 1045 service. I look to you. I ask you today to not only be in my voice and my words and my thoughts, but, Lord, be in our hearts, be in the, the believers, the listeners, Lord, those who are here today with questions, Lord, those, those who've never crossed the line of faith, never made Jesus Christ Savior and Lord of their lives. God, we just we welcome you. This is a safe place. And Holy Spirit, we welcome you. We ask you, Lord, to move in this service, change and transform us by your power. What a powerful name it is in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, you may be seated this morning in the presence of the Lord. I'm excited today to bring to you uh, number five. This is the fifth installment in the Nehemiah series called Arise and Build. And if you'll notice, we are seeing gradually more progress and our little mini, our, our little microcosm, our little mini version of, uh, of the wall of the city of Jerusalem. And we're hearing this message on several different levels. Number one, we're hearing it as the church, as Victory Church in West Memphis, Mary in the Mid-South. We're hearing it on a natural level because we're, we'll be breaking ground in just a, a few short weeks and excited about being able to give you a very official announcement very shortly on the exact day. Things are in the process, and we're excited about that. We were in here Friday a week ago with two architects and talking about our platform in a new building and getting sight lines right and, and just, just a lot of amazing things going on, great plans. It's a lot of fun, a lot of, lot of uh, energy, a lot of time consumed, but I'm excited about it. It's very wonderful. Um, just dealing with the, 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 the issues that are in this passage of Scripture I not only want you to hear it for our collective group of our church together in the community, but I want you to hear it yourself on an individual personal basis that the, that the God of heaven cares to cause you to prosper so that you can begin to arise and build the areas that have been broken in your life. Um, I'm not going to take time this morning to uh, actually lay out the possibilities of what some of those things can be. Everybody in the room knows where there are broken areas. Every one of us in this room are broken uh, in some way. Thank you, thank you, Jesus, for your love and your, your transforming power in our lives that we are not what we used to be, but we also are not what we're going to be. 
and that we're in the gap between the now and the not yet. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Uh, if I die right now, I know that I'll be in His presence because my, my spirit has been saved. I know that, that uh, to, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But I also know that He's renewing my mind. He's, he's working on my soul, my mind, my will, my emotions. And He's in a constant present tense saving process, delivering. Let me, let me use that word. Maybe that's a little easier to understand. Delivering me maybe from some old concepts or mentalities or ideas that are limiting, that are not freeing like the kingdom of God is or intends. And I also have the hope not only that my spirit is saved, my soul is being saved, but I believe that there will come a day when I'll see him face to face and this body shall be saved. Come on, how many of you know what I'm talking about? And so we understand the, the, the progressive tenses of God's deliverance uh, in that he justified us in a moment that we are being sanctified through our whole lives, but there will come a time when we shall be in a moment be glorified. First John 3, 2 says, Beloved, we uh, do not know how it's going to be, what's going to happen. He says, but we do know that we now are the, the sons of God, but we, we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. How many of you long for that day? I uh, just, because of my own set of circumstances that I've faced the last few months, I was telling a friend the other day, I said, I'll tell you one thing, I'm going to preach the hope of the resurrection like I never have before this Easter. And that's not just the hope of the historical fact of Jesus being raised up from the dead, but our own resurrection that is yet to come. Come on, somebody, put your hands together, give the Lord praise. I'm excited today to share this. I want to jump in because I, uh, I don't want to be lengthy. Uh, really, this my first service is kind of a practice run to be able to make my time early enough for them to baptize those two in the second service. So last Sunday, we did the message dealing with outside opposition. Uh, today, we're going to actually turn the spotlight inside. We're going to get introspective for a little bit. I don't recommend extended periods of introspection because you can become immobilized in self-analysis. Um, what is the, the pastor one time gave us the rhyming alliteration of the paralysis of analysis. You can become so self-absorbed in an attempt to um, grow in your faith or in the, the knowledge of the Lord or in an area where you know that you're broken and God is rebuilding that you get so self-focused that you don't do anything. Um, after Dawn died, I was looking at just, just some things that we had let slide over the previous few years because of just her battling depression and paranoia and just being exhausted, uh, me being exhausted in the garage literally looked like um, a hoarder lived there. And the attic, uh, the garage is amazing. It's, it's, I've been having it painted this week and going to be nothing but two cars sitting in there I'm excited about that, but it's taking some work, and then for a little while, I'm going to let it sit with two cars in there, and then I'm going to pull them back out, and I'm going to unload my attic down into it, and it's going to look bad again for a while, because I'm, I'm actually, I'm excited. I've got some progress going, um, and, and I want you to know what I'm preaching to you today is uh, not only just some principles from the Word that I think will help you, but they are where I've been struggling, where I've been battling, um, and so as we look today... We're going to deal with inside opposition because too much of the time, the problem that causes us not to make progress in our growth 
in a vision that we have for ourselves personally, say possibly for your children or your grandchildren, uh, to see God raise them up and make them champions in the next generation. I believe that that should be the godly vision of every parent. Uh, there was a vision that God gave to Nehemiah who was a cupbearer to a Persian king and he gave him the authority and the resources and the responsibility to return to his homeland and begin to rebuild what had been broken down in the exile. And there was a period of the Babylonian captivity of 70 years and they'd all been gone, cast out of the land and this was 90 years after they had returned. So 160 years, the condition of the walls of the city of Jerusalem are so bad that probably easily said at least three generations have gotten used to the way things are. This is just way, the way the city looks. It's very easy to get locked down into a place in our lives where we become very comfortable with the thing that is limiting us. It's very easy to find a place of familiarity with the struggle that once used to fire us and crank up our imagination of days of better things to come. But after you have so many days of failures with things not changing, it is easy to just get in a place of comfort. It's like the little preacher said, status quo is Latin for the mess we's in. And God is not about keeping you in a place of status quo. God is not about letting you get comfortable with the mess that you have created. If you can give it to Him, He will take your mess and He will make it into a message that will touch and inspire somebody else so their mess can become a message. So that can inspire and touch somebody else so their mess can become a message. That's the way the kingdom of God works. It begins, Jesus said, like the person that hid a little bit of yeast into the flour and that until finally it just had consumed the whole bowl. And the kingdom of God begins small like a seed, but it continues to progress and grow from age to age, from generation to generation, from one life to another, from, uh, from one transformation, from one mess to a message, to another mess, to another message. Come on, put your hands together and give the Lord praise this morning. Too many times, my problem is not some outside attack, but it's an inside condition that is limiting me in my perspective or my understanding or the way I am choosing to handle things. I have one thing that I'm going to weave through three points quickly this morning, and this is like a, a three-verse three song. And We're going to sing each verse, but we're going to come back to the chorus over and over again. And so our one thing goes this way. Read it out loud with me. Division brings death to a vision. Unity brings life and blessing. How I choose to act makes all the difference. Get it one more time. Here we go. Division brings death to a vision. Unity brings life and blessing. How I choose to act makes the difference. Listen this morning to Psalm 133. This is not on the screen. Just listen. Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon which falls on the mountains of Zion for there the Lord has commanded the blessing even life forevermore. Remember Jesus said if two or three of you gather in my name there am I in the midst of you. My friend Bob Mumford, great, he's elderly, elder statesman. 
at this point, he said back in the 19, late 1960s, he said, what Jesus really meant to say is if two or three of you Christians can just get together, I'll show up just to see it. How many of you know there's so much division in the body of Christ? Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, I want to take time and grab one verse from there very quickly, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 10, verse 10, reading from the ESV, it says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. Another translation says, in the same purpose. Let there be harmony among you. Let there be no divisions among you. Because division is death to a vision. As a matter of fact, you can almost see those concepts. Look at the first word. Everybody say, die, vision. Division makes a vision die. And when we have division, lack of unity, when we don't have harmony in our family, let me, let me just get real plain. When we don't have harmony in ourselves... I was watching TV last night. Uh, Abby surprised me and flew in for a three-day layover between L.A. and New York City. And we were sitting watching, and, and my mother-in-law, Dawn's mom, came down from Jonesboro to be with us. And so we were just ha enjoying some family time together and talking. We were watching some show. I don't know what it was. But the, the person was telling the other individual, said, Look, this problem is between you and you. <laughs> talking about it's between you and yourself. How many of you know we can be disunified, we can be disunited, we can be broken in ourselves where our heart's telling us one thing and our mind is telling us something different. And how many of you know when you're split like that, it's going to be death to the vision that you have because you're divided. Matter of fact, James said it this way in James chapter 1, I believe it's about verse 6, he said, don't even think that you can get anything from God because the man who doubts is like a, a, a wave of the wind tossed to and fro. He, he, he says there's, there's death to this thing. You, 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 have to, you have to walk in faith and, and be congruent and be aligned and be united in your thinking. Make your soul come in line with what you know your heart and the Word of God is already saying to you. Come on, somebody. Put your hands together. Division brings death to a vision, but unity brings life and blessing. How I act what I choose to act on, the division or the unity is going to make all the difference in the world. Now, as we look back to this, we're going to see inside. Last week we talked about Sanballat and Tobiah, Geshem the, Geshem the Arab, and the attacks that were coming against them and the armies that basically they had paid mercenaries to come in and to intimidate the, the people of Israel as they were restoring and rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. God had sent in Ezra, who had restored right worship. The temple had been rebuilt under Zerubbabel, who had built it. To go back and review a little bit, but not take a long time, remember our chapter is part of a much larger story. In one generation, God, God raised up Zerubbabel to rebuild the temple. In another generation, God sent in Ezra to restore right worship. Twelve years later, God sent in Nehemiah after the heart of the people had been restored to putting God first. Jesus at the center of my life. I was listening to Israel Houghton this morning. Jesus at the center of it all. It's all about you, O Lord. When I get my heart right, then God begins to work on the peripheral things in my life. And how many of you know until you deal with the heart issues, you, 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 you can't deal with all the other problems that are surrounding you? Okay, so let's jump in here this morning. We've got three things quickly. First of all is rubble. Let's look at the text. We're going back to last week's chapter. It says, Then the people of Judah began to, everybody say it, 
complain. Come on now, everybody can complain. Nobody likes the complainers. Sometimes we have to complain because there are legitimate problems that need to be talked about, that we need to deal with. We need to offer up a complaint to the Lord or offer up a complaint to leadership. But it says, the people of Judah began to complain, and this is what they said. The workers are getting what? Tired, and there is so much rubble. He says, to be moved, we will what? Say it. Never be able to build the wall by ourselves. Now this is what rubble does in your lives. Three things I want to talk about that are inside opposition for just a few moments. In my own personal life, I was struggling in just our house and just, just the way things were. I remember having a confrontation with Dawn. And, I, I, and, and she was in a bad place, and I, I, just, I was frustrated one day, and I said, Baby, if I didn't do what I did around here, this house, house would fall down around our ankles. And, and she, was, she just didn't have any energy. She was just battling so, so deeply. And, and uh, sorry, I have to breathe. Uh, I looked at the stuff, and I was overwhelmed. I was overwhelmed was overwhelmed because we were, we were trying to battle this thing and there were key people in the church that knew about it. We had shared with leaders, a handful of folks, people at a distance, our pastor in Nashville, my dear friend Chip Bueller in Atlanta. We were all praying. We're standing in faith together, believing God is going to turn things. And I, I have to confess that I still battle this right now because I... I, I, I took her to get help, and I kept thinking that this was just change of life stuff. Now, y'all, I'm going to be brutally open this morning. I, I read recently that the word April comes from the Latin apier, which means to open up. And so you think about all the flowers that are blooming, and all the men here, you, that doesn't appeal to you at all. That's not manly enough. So re remember, guys, remember that it's Latin, and so think Roman gladiators, Okay. Think of swords and opening up the fight in the Colosseum. But I want you for a moment today in the first Sunday in April, I want you to just consider the possibility of opening up your heart a moment to the Lord. And we're in, As we enter April, just open up and go, God, you examine me. Search my heart, O oh God, and see if there be any wicked way in me, as David said. And so I, I, I'm, I'm still wrestling with thinking of having responsibility in... Because I kept thinking, you know, it's hormones and everything's just crazy. And, and, and I'm thinking, okay, we're going to ride this out. And we, we got medication. And, and then she did. And then, and then the medication just drove her liver, liver enzymes crazy where they were talking about maybe liver failure. And I would sit out behind the courtyard, behind the little small fence in my backyard every morning and take my Bible and I would cry, cry out to God and pray. And go, God, you've got to help us. And, and just the rubble that's in my life right now from the brokenness because my prayer didn't get answered. And just wrestling with personal self-pity, wanting to get comfortable and feeling sorry for myself and having to look all this in the face and go, God, I don't understand, but God, I choose joy. You're going to have to help me you're going to have to help me, oh God, as I went to my garage 
And I said, Garai, I said, Lord, I'm going to take a trash bag. And if all I do is get one bag a day that I go through my dead aunt who died in 09 and I've got her stuff in here, my mama who died in 2012 and I hadn't gone through her stuff and then my wife is gone and I've got furniture and stuff from all these people and I don't want to throw any of it away. And I said, I can't grieve because I'm not, I'm not going to become a hoarder. And I'm by myself. And I had to t go in with a trash bag and just did sometimes a day at a time. And I'd just stoop and I would get overwhelmed. And I would go, God, I'm exhausted. And I would start to pick up things. And just like you see me start to stack up one stone at a time. And just begin to deal with the rubble. And sometimes it was a few days before I saw any progress whatsoever. I don't know what the rubble is in your life. Maybe it's not a death of a loss or a, someone who's who's no longer with you, maybe a relationship that's gone bad, maybe the rubble is an attitude, maybe it's an offense, maybe it's anger, maybe you prayed a prayer and God didn't answer it and you don't understand that and you're offended at the Lord and you need to walk in some personal self-forgiveness and some forgiveness of God and say, Lord, I forgive you, I release this, I let it go. And I don't know what the rubble is in your life, but I'm going to tell you division brings death to a vision. And if you stay in that place of disunity, you stay in that place of brokenness personally, you stay in that place of brokenness in your family and a marriage that's going south, don't sit there and just watch it happen. Don't sit there and watch it die. Stand up and take some action. Get a trash bag and remove a little bit of the rubble every day. I don't know how, I don't know what that means for you. I've left a blank in your notes that says act because I believe the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit who has the ability to speak to your heart in this room this morning, to tailor make this message for every individual person here, a leader of a family, a mom, a dad, a business owner, whatever the area of your struggle is, there is an act that God would have you to do if it's a trash bag a day and you start to see some of the rubble dissipate. Because if you leave the rubble in the place it's in, it's going to cause the people in your family, at your job, on your business, in the local church, to begin to complain because rubble causes disunity. Division brings death to a vision. Unity brings life and blessing. How I choose to act makes all the difference. Somebody say amen. I don't know what the rubble is in your life. Holy Spirit, speak right now. And I encourage you to take those notes and write something down. What is your stone each day that you pick up from the rubble of the mess? What is your trash bag that you go out and fill up one a day in order to be able to begin to clean out the garage of your life? There was a, all we had was a path. It looked like something out of hoarders. And I said, God, I can't live this way. I ask you that this garage is a sign of my soul right now, the brokenness that I've battled for three years with the love of my life and that I'm wrestling alone now. And so I don't know what the rubble is in your life, but I'm going to tell you it can be an attitude, it can be, it can be the rubble of sin, it can be an addiction, it can be a habit, it can be something that nobody else knows about, it can be a secret sin in your heart that if you let the rubble continue, it will become overwhelming and you will not be able to do anything. It will, it will dismay you, okay? Secondly, this morning, fear. Fear. Somebody said one time, fear is false evidence appearing real. The acronym, F-E-A-R, false evidence appearing real. Before I open that up, I want to go ahead and get the text. Let's get the text this morning. Meanwhile, our enemies were saying before they know what's happening, we will swoop down on them and we'll kill them and we'll end their work. Now you're hearing these rumors. Can you imagine how 
demoralizing that is for the children of Israel, the citizens of Jerusalem, when they're attempting to do a good work. They're attempting to restore security to their community because homeland security has given them an orange alert. They're open to attack in every way, in every regard. Give me the next verse, if you would, please. The Jews who live near the enemy came and told us again and again that they will come from all directions and attack us. So I placed armed guards behind the lowest parts of the wall in the exposed areas. I stationed the people to stand guard by what? We preached this last week. What did I tell you? You have a struggle in your life. You, you, you see the problems in the city. Tackle the problems in your own house first, and God will give you the platform to be able to speak to the problems in the city. Stand guard over your own house. Protect your family. Come on. He armed them with swords, spears, and bows. And then as I looked over the situation, I called together the nobles and the rest of the people, and I said to them, one more verse, what did he say? Don't be what? Don't be afraid. Don't be scared. Don't be afraid of the enemy. How do we deal with this fear? How do we deal with this fear? You all know what it's like. Uh, Abby and I were having a conversation last night about how even as teenagers, she's in a lot of ways like me, I, I decided as a teenager that I didn't have any time for horror movies because they affect me. Because when I'm alone in the dark, I remember what I saw at the Malco last week. I'm just, I'm just confessing to you how I am. And I realized as a young, young person, you know, some people love, they like to be shocked. They love the gasp. They love the tingling. It didn't affect you, and that's okay, fine. I'm just sharing with you my own heart. Maybe this is just how I'm messed up or jacked up in some kind of way. But I go home and I remember it. And when the lights are out, When it's dark and when the, when the crepe myrtle that's grown too close to the edge of the house starts scraping at night and I'm laying in my bed looking up at a dark ceiling and I feel the, the leading of the Holy Spirit to get up and turn on some lights. <laughs> How many of you know what I'm... Don't you look at me in that tone of voice. Everybody in this room has done that. Some of you guys get up and load your gun. <laughs> Oh, Lord, I have to laugh. I have to laugh because I have to focus on all that I have. Abby and I were talking, and we were talking about how, you know, just scary movies are just don't do it for us. If you want to go, hey, I love you, be blessed, but I'm not making that run. Because I just realized that a long time ago that the Bible says God's not given me a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. And I realized that if I'm afraid of something, I'm in bondage to that thing. And if you're scared of something... If you're terrified by something, then that something has power over you. And so this is what Nehemiah said to the people. Don't be afraid of the enemy. Well, how do I do that? You know, it's, it's silly to look at a person who's terrified and immobilized by fear and say, don't be scared. They didn't just, he didn't just say, don't be scared. What did he say to do? Look at it. Say it out loud. Come on. Remember the Lord who is great and glorious and fight for your brothers and your sons and your daughters and your wives and your homes. Because remembrance has an amazing way of bringing unity to a people who are otherwise disunified. I love it. God says, don't let there be any divisions among you. He says through the, the, the psalmist David, he says, there the Lord commands the blessing, even life forevermore. Because death is, uh, division is death to a vision, but unity brings life and blessing. And it's how I act, literally, 
that can make all the difference in the world. And the way I realize that I have to deal with fear is I have to remember the Lord and talk faith. Because faith is the antidote to fear. Faith is remembering that even though I'm scared, my God's power is greater. What a powerful name it is. We just come on, we just we just sang it this morning. And we were we were sitting and just talking and and the, just the things that Abby's facing and how I'm processing this and how I'm dealing with this just past the five month mark in March and on the nineteenth of this month it'll be six months and I don't mean to make a travelogue about everything, but this is just raw. This is just where I am. And I found that if I can just talk to you from a place of where God is battling with me and giving me some personal victory, that it actually helps other people. Because I just want to confess to you, there's rubble in my life. There are attitudes that I have to deal with. And sometimes they stay there long enough that I begin to complain and it begins to produce some fear. But I have to act. I have to deal with it. And when the rubble begins to crowd in around me, I told her last night through tears, I said, Baby, if I focus on what I don't have anymore, I couldn't live. I couldn't. I don't think I could keep taking breaths. But I have to focus on all of the blessing that I do have and the goodness of God and the life that is out yet in front of me. Now, I don't know who that's going to help this morning, but everybody in the room, you always have the ability, you can focus on what you don't have and you can curse the very blessing of God that's around you. Or you can stop and focus on the blessing. You know what the old timers used to say? Count your blessings. Name them one by one. Count your blessings and see what God has done. And, and I believe the importance of that is to focus. And then when I begin to do, when I get focused on the blessing of the Lord, it's amazing how that word April, Latin, it means to open up. It's, it starts to blossom. I start to come open. And, and let me make it manly for a moment. I, I take up my sword of the Spirit and I begin to cut off the head of the enemy because I open up and the fear begins to dissipate. Come on, are you hearing me? Now, this is not a lot of heavy teaching, but I just wanted to preach this easily this morning and kind of encourage and strengthen some folks. Don't be afraid of the enemy. Remember the Lord. Finally this morning, one last thing. Rebel, i got to act on it. Fear, i got to deal with it. Because division is the death of a vision. Unity brings life and blessing. How I act determines or makes the difference. So the last thing this morning is greed. And this is a little bit of extended passage. So just give me a few minutes. I want to. I want to just. I'm going to have some things emboldened. I'm not going to stop and actually comment on all of them, but I, I, I want to roll into this. Rubble, fear. Last one is greed. About this time, this is chapter five of Nehemiah. About this time, some of the men and their wives raised a cry of protest. Everybody say protest. Protest against their fellow Jews. They were saying, "We have such large families. We have more. We need more food to survive." Now. What you don't realize is that in the middle of all of this, attack from the outside, opposition from the enemy from the outside, complaining inside because of the condition and the state of things, the rubble, the fear, the intimidation, we got some other problems going on. There's a famine. I mean, you're talking about adding insult to injury. You, you, you're talking about, I, I prayed with an individual this week who took a moment to just open up and share with me how uh, she said she felt like that that you know, we, we start to make some headway and then it's like an attack in every area. And I said, you know, I, I can relate to that. It's just it's like one more thing that intimidates. And so this is what they're saying. We, we're in the middle of a famine. We don't even have food to eat. He says, we have such large families. We need more food to survive. Verse 3, others said, we have mortgaged our fields, our vineyards, our homes 
to get food during the famine. So they're borrowing money. Okay, it's, it's, it's a difficult downturn in the economy. The stock market has bottomed out. Everybody's 401k or your 403b is almost non-existent. Come on, it's, it's just it's life. It's, it's what we've dealt with in our recent history. This is really not that different uh, 2,500 years ago from today because this was about 445 B.C., verse 4. And others said we've had to borrow money on our fields and our vineyards to pay our taxes. Now, the, the king is exerting, uh, has basically... Uh, set forth a tax in order for the kingdom to continue, or the king, yes, the kingdom of Persia to continue to run smoothly, and, and, and so they're they're mortgaged up to their necks. The famine is going on; they don't have enough food to eat. They're they're they can't pay their bills, and the complaint comes about. Let's see what's going on. Verse five: We belong to the same family as those who are wealthy, and our children are just like theirs. Yet we sell our children into everybody say it slavery. Everybody say slavery, just to get enough money to live. Now, this is in called indentured servitude, where you can't pay your bills, and so you sell yourself or a family member to a wealthy person to provide services for them for an extended period of years. They work to pay back the debt that, you've, that, you, bo- that you owe now because you can't buy food and you can't pay your taxes, and your fields and your vineyards and your houses and your homes and everything are mortgaged up to the hill. So it's a bad situation, okay? We've already sold some of our daughters and we're helpless to do anything about it for our fields and our vineyards are already mortgaged to others. When I heard their complaints, I was very angry. How many you know sometimes the only thing you can do is just stop and let your emotions cool down because when you hear the, the havoc that the enemy is wreaking in the lives of people, sometimes I just, st- I just get angry and I just have to get a hold of myself. And this is what I believe a righteous leader does. There is a, there's a good kind of anger. The Bible says in Ephesians, be angry and sin not. So we can, we can, we can get up ahead of steam of, of frustration and, and going, God, we've got to do something about this because the enemy is wreaking havoc in the lives of the people of God. And look at this. He's calm. Read the first four words of verse 7. Everybody say it. Come on. After thinking it over. So don't just be compulsive and knee-jerk and emotional response, but stop and think through it. After thinking it over, I spoke out against these nobles and officials and I told them, you're hurting your own. You're hurting your own relatives by charging interest when they borrow money. Then I called a public meeting to deal with the problem. Now, this is not uh, an issue or uh, a teaching about usury laws because the Bible gives those specifically. I I believe that an economy uh, has to work where, where people lend money out and they have to make money on the money that they loan, but specifically for the people of God, the covenantal people of God, Israelites were not supposed to charge fellow Jews interest because it was, uh, it, it was what would lead them into slavery. And so we've got this massive building going on. We're dealing with the rubble. We're quelling the fears. In the middle of all of this, we've got a few wealthy folks in the city of Jerusalem that decide that they're going to Uh, predatorily make money on the backs of all the people. How many of you know it happens all the time? Every time we have, there's a a hurricane down south, it hits Florida, it hits New Orleans, and all the folk run down there and they charge four times the price that they normally do in order to bring some repairs to somebody's house. It's called predatory financing. It's just, it's, it's just, it's outrageous. And the, the government and the law comes in against it and says, no, we're not going to allow that. When you try to take advantage of someone that's hurting and you put it on the back of the poor, 
This is something that we in the church have to always keep, the heart of God toward the poor. Everybody look at your neighbor and say, we can't be greedy. Come on, come on, tell somebody, we can't be greedy. There's always a chance that if we operate out of our sin nature and we think, hey, you know what, I can, I can manipulate this a little bit so we can, I, can, I can feather my nest, I can line my pockets. And how many of you know God's watching every time we do that? When we defraud someone, when we deceive someone, when we don't tell the truth about what it really costs us to, to do a project or to, to build something, okay? So he says, you're hurting your own relatives by charging interest when they borrow money. Then I called a public meeting to deal with the problem. Let's move quickly. At the meeting, I said to them, we're doing all we can, everybody say redeem, to redeem our Jewish relatives who have had to sell themselves to pagan foreigners. Nehemiah is out there rebuilding the wall. He's got a redemption program going on where he's buying back fellow Jews who've been already sold into pagan slavery. And then he finds out that some of his folks that are telling him, patting him on the back to what a good job he's doing, are actually hurting their own people and tearing down what he's trying to build. He gets radically ticked off, okay? So he, he doesn't just start a rumor mill or call, you know, Sister Bottle Stopper to tell her about the news. He confronts it publicly. I mean, how many of you know it's time for the church to grow up and not talk about the people that have offended you, but graciously go address it and confront them and deal with our fear of conflict and do, deal with it in a right spirit. Come on, somebody. In a right heart. Come on, put your hands together and give the Lord praise. I'm doing real good. He says, we've been trying to redeem them, but you're selling them back into slavery again. He says, how often must we redeem them? And they had nothing to say in their defense. I want to stop and get off the money thing for a second. And I want to say that sometimes in our homes, we're down the throats of children who have addictive patterns of behavior with drugs. And we've shown them a lifestyle that we're addicted to alcohol in the same house. And the thing is, just one of them's legal and one of them's not. And we justify the one that's legal. Come on, I'm helping somebody right now. And if you think you have any moral authority from that place just because your addiction is legal, come on, God wants to set everybody free from all the junk that binds you. Everybody, come on, put your hands together and give the Lord praise in this place. We are hurting our own families when we're, we're charging back on them what they can't break and yet we're showing them a lifestyle where we are just as jacked up and broken. It's just ours is accepted by everybody else. It's, 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 it's celebrated down at the country club. It's okay. Come on, I'm preaching. Come on, somebody. It says, and they had nothing to say in their defense. Come on, here we go. Then I press further. What you are doing is not right. Should you not walk in the fear of our God and in order to avoid being mocked by enemy nations? I mean, Nehemiah's concern. Don't let the name of the people of God become a derisive word. Don't let it become a pejorative comment or a joke. Let's get on here quickly. He says, I myself as well as my brothers and my workers have been lending the people money and grain. Nehemiah is all about taking care of people when they're in need. And he's lending it out and giving it, not expecting anything in return. You want to know why? Because Nehemiah knows that the proverb says that he that gives to the poor lends to the Lord and the Lord will repay them all. How many of you know when you bless somebody who doesn't have the ability to pay you back and you know out of obedience the Spirit of God has led you to, to be generous with them and there's nothing like dealing with greed by deciding to become generous. I don't have time to give you the whole story, but a few years ago I was so far deep into the whole alt, you know, deep right conservative thinking of if you don't work, you don't eat. And I remember pulling up there at, at, at Madison Avenue one afternoon and I was running a, an errand in Memphis 
and I always keep just a little bit of cash, a few bucks in my console of my car, and there was a guy standing out there going, we'll work for food. And I just, you know, I just had a, just a sneer on my face, I'm sure, because I'm knowing those guys out there make more in a few hours than I can make all day long because about every seven or eighth car is going to give them a dollar. And if you stand there long enough, you're going to make three or four hundred dollars. You know what I'm talking about? And so that's the way I've always thought. And so the Lord said, give him your money. And I'm looking, and it's a twenty dollar, it's a twenty spot. And I'm going, Lord. Uh-uh. Let me tell you why this is not right. Lord. Some of you get that. And I said, Lord, he's just going to spend it on, on cigarettes and, and alcohol. And he said, you know what? You need to give it worse than he needs to receive it. It had to break something in me. And I've been generous ever since then. I'd always been generous with people that I like. I've always been generous with people I love. But you know some lazy, no-count coot standing out there just will work for food, knowing you don't want to work, you just want some money. And I had that attitude toward that. And God said, you know what, i got to deal with that attitude because it's a piece of rubble in your life, Smith. He said, if you're going to be able to bless people, you're going to have to learn to be generous. I'm not talking about being foolish with your finance. You, just can't, you can't throw money at everything. But there are times when you need to listen to the voice of the Lord because I heard the Lord say, it wasn't an audible voice, I'm not hearing voices, it was down in here, and he made this impression in my thoughts, and he said, you need to give it way worse than he needs to receive it. I said, okay, I hear, I hear you, Lord. He, and and I'm, I'm giving him the 20, and I'm not quite letting it go, you know. <laughs> normally when I tell that story, I take it a little longer and it's kind of funny. But anyhow, he says, verse 11, you must restore their fields. Everybody say restore. restore. You must restore their fields, their vineyards, their olive groves, and their homes to this very day and repay. Everybody say repay. So restore and repay, he says, the amount of interest that you've charged when you lent them money, grain, new wine, and olive oil. And they replied, what? Say it. We will. You don't want to know why? Because division is the death of a vision. Unity will bring life and blessing. How I act, come on, everybody say, how I act, how I act makes the difference. So they said, we will, we'll give back everything and demand nothing from the people. And everybody say it again, we will, we will do as you say. And he says, now look at this, I love, this is a godly leader. He says, then I called the priests and made the nobles and the officials swear to do what they had promised. Put your hand on the holy book and you swear on your life that you're going to fulfill what you promised you were going to do. And look what he did, let's finish one more verse. I love this. I, I love walking in the fear of the Lord. Because Nehemiah, who was a cupbearer, who became a builder, he's on the way to his becoming governor. He says, I shook out the folds of my robe. And I can just see him in his Jewish robe, shaking out the folds in his robe. And he raises his hands. And listen to this. He says, if you fail to keep your promise, read it out loud with me, may God shake you like this, from your homes and your properties. Now, you know what? If every time we made a promise, we had someone do that, how many of you know it's more likely we'd probably keep our promise? One more verse and we're finished. Read it out loud. The whole assembly responded, Amen, so be it. And they praised the Lord and look at it. Isn't this great? And the people did as they had promised. You want to know why? Because division brings death to a vision. But unity brings life and blessing. And how I act makes all the difference. Will I keep my word? Will I learn that it's truly, as Jesus said, better to give than it is to receive? Nothing will deal with greed like determining that you're going to be generous. Every person sitting here under the sound of my voice is dealing with some rubble in your life. 
I don't know what you have to do. It may be literal physical stuff. It may be an attitude. It may be a sin. It may be a habit that you're struggling to break. Everybody in this room has to deal with fear. Don't let the enemy intimidate you. Don't go make yourself scared by meditating on the wrong stuff. For me, that means I don't go hang out watching anything written by Stephen King. <laughs> if it says by Stephen King, then it ain't for me, baby. Now, that's, you know what? I'm not putting that on you, uh, but that's sinful for me. Because I've realized that I can't, I don't process that the way everybody does. Because there's nothing like being in a dark room and you start to think things and you start to hear things and something way bigger that doesn't even exist all of a sudden starts to make you think that it's really there. And you can hurt yourself and other people when you're moved by fear. Come on, I'm totally serious. You're laughing because it's funny, but it's, come on, is it the truth or not? I wish I had time because I, I fought a snake this week. I fought, there was an anaconda in my backyard. That's, a, that's for another Sunday. <laughs> what has God called you to do to act? Everybody in this room has got some rubble. Everybody in this room has some fear. Everybody in this room deals with some kind of greed. Maybe it's not money. Maybe it's your time. Maybe it's, it's love that you've given and it's not been given back. Or maybe it's been handed back with insult or offense. Maybe it's been handed back with ingratitude. And you've done for, and you've done for, and you've done for, and finally you're just tired. You're trying to build a relationship, and she doesn't respond. He doesn't hear you. They won't, you won't talk. There's a wall. There's rubble. There's fear. And there's greed now because of we've been hurt, and we've become isolated, and we've become self-protective. You can't stay in that place because division brings death to your vision. Unity brings blessing in life. And how you choose to act is going to make all the difference. Now, let me tell you what you need to do to act. I have three things real quick, and we're going to pray. ACT, first of all, ask. Ask God to give you His eyes for your situation. Stop looking at it through your human understanding and ask God, Father, help me see what you see, because I see a mess. I see my life is ruined. I see my life is worthless. God, I ask you to help me. Secondly, confess. Confess your sin. Confess where you've blown it. Confess your wrong attitudes. Confess. Just open it up. Come on. The month, the month of April, open up. Blossom. Open up. Open up and just say, God, there's no sense in me hiding this because you, you know my inner workings anyway, everything about me. And God, I confess it. I lay it open before you. And just, just be who you are in His presence. There's something so freeing about brutal honesty and calling it what it is. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I love it. And finally, T, I act when I ask and I confess. And finally, I trust. Well, the old song says, trust and obey for there's no other way. And it may be too much for us to chew right now. Maybe just let's just talk about trust. But if I can begin to trust, the Bible says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart and don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him and He will straighten your paths. He will make your paths straight. He will straighten out where you're walking. So this morning, ask, confess, 
trust. The Bible says if we pray, we know with confidence that he hears us. Trust that he hears you. Thou will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee, who trusts in thee. King James, Isaiah 26, 2 says. Every head is now bowing. The lights are low. We're not looking around. We're going before the Lord right now in Jesus' name. We're asking him right now, Father, help me to see with your eyes. Take a moment and let's go through these three steps. If you are in this place and you've never crossed the line of faith,